What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Tabletop for Two podcast. I'm Brad Van Vutt. I'm Emily Van Vutt. So we are back. I'd, I'd like to tell you that we've had a lot going on, but we, I mean, we have had a lot going on. Um, Personally, not gaming-wise. Well, no, yeah, we haven't gotten to play a whole lot, which is why we haven't been back to you for a couple weeks longer than expected. Um, De- Emily's also become a Destiny widow, widow. as well, because that's been... Consuming a lot of my oh, time, and now and now FIFA has come out. So Lord help me. Yeah, that's uh, too. Maybe I ought to just start playing a bunch of stuff solo. There you go. You can we'll, you can we'll start trading off doing like tabletop for one <laughs> podcast. So, um, I, it's it's just interesting Destiny because so for those not familiar with video games, Destiny is a um, RPG that takes place in. Like a social setting, like you're always, it's a connected world, you're playing with other people. It's also like first person shooters made by the same guys that made Halo. But there's a lot of stuff to do in the game. It's kind of MMO ish in a way. So if you're familiar with like World of Warcraft or things of that nature, um, and it's just, I find it interesting for me that I tend to not play a ton of different video games or at least play them at length. But I like, I play, I play Destiny a lot. I play FIFA's Ultimate Team Mode a lot. And then there's um, you know a couple other things that pop up here and there. But I, for the most part, with video games, I play lifestyle games. I just find it interesting that that contrasts completely with how I like to do board games. Oh, yeah. Well, because we have ADD when it comes to board games, as we've said before. So anything with a majorly long campaign and stuff like that mm-hmm. is just hard for us. But then again, if you are equating this to board games, um, the closest one I would probably say is maybe Gloomhaven. Oh, no, I'm not saying, like, the type of game. Like I said, I just find it interesting. Well, and, I mean, we've, we've you know, we've talked about the show before. We've tried and kind of burned on a lot of campaign-driven games. Right, but what I'm saying, like, as far as you're saying with, like, how you like to play Destiny and everything mm-hmm. and and all that, I think Gloomhaven's probably the closest thing we have to that as far as we can play together because, you know, I suck at first-person shooters. Right. Well, I mean, but Descent is similar, and, and like, any campaign system is, is a similar kind of thing. It, like I said, I just find it... Weird no, but how. I feel like in Gloomhaven, because of the map, and we can explore so much on there, that's mm. why I thought about that when you're talking about going right, out right. and doing this, no, that, I and get, the other. I get, I get that. It's just like I said, I just find it weird that, in one hand, you know, I'm all about this certain type of game, and, you know, I always look for games that I can sink a lot of time into and a lot of investment into, but with board games, I'm like, no, I want to play everything. I want to do, <laughs> you know, I want to go from game to game. Yeah, and your wife doesn't like some types of games, so. True, too. So, I, like I said, I just found it, uh, I found it interesting, so I wanted to... To just kind of stream of consciousness it on yeah, the show. Yeah, no, you just want to talk about Destiny. That too. That too. <laughs> if you want, if you really want to hear me talk about Destiny, make sure you check out Dense Pixels, our video game podcast as well. And so. shameless plug. Uh, I'm not. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna not do it. Um, real quick before we get into the meat of this show, um, just a quick bit of housekeeping. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, if you search for at Tabletop for Two, you can track us down there. Uh, you can subscribe to the show uh, with any podcatcher that you use. Uh, we have a BGD Guild, number 2623. And as usual, if there's any two-player topics you want to hear us talk about, uh, we definitely float those out there, and uh, we'll certainly consider doing that in a future episode. Yep. For sure. Um, so like I said, not much that we've gotten to play new lately. Um, one of the games that we've gotten to play that's been new for us is uh, Freedom, the Underground Railroad from Academy Games. Oh, my. Well, th- and again, this is another one. Where I found some some interesting things came up in this one. So, for those that don't know, Freedom's a cooperative game um, that takes place during 
like the pre-Civil War time in the U.S. Um, as the abolitionist cause for ending slavery was starting to pick up steam, um, you are playing as Southern abolitionists trying to get slaves from the South to Canada through the use of the Underground Railroad. Um, the the game style is like sort of like a pandemic sort of style game. Yeah. Um, where you're trying to put out, you know, try to watch out for different fires catching and stuff like that. Um, on your turn, you're trying to, you first you get a buy round. There's these tokens you can buy that are called conductor tokens, um, which you can use to move slaves around the map. Um, there's also fundraising tokens, which you get used to get money as well. Um, there's also cards that you can buy from an action row. Um, that you can pick up too, and the cards vary from one-time use cards that usually provide some kind of movement um, to abolitionist cards, which stay in your hand until you get to use them, and then they usually go away after that. Or um, there's some bad cards in there as well. There's some anti-abolition cards that usually have a negative effect on the game uh, in some way, shape, or form. So after after all the players have gotten to buy some stuff, um, that's when the movement phase happens. So. The slaves are represented through um, cubes, and the goal of the game is to try to rescue a certain number of slaves before the game's eight rounds end and before a certain number of slaves are captured, basically. Um, So you use the conductor tokens to move around. Usually you can move a, a certain number of slaves X number of spaces. Like the early tokens, you can move three slaves one space each. Later in the game, you can move... You know, several slaves, multiple spaces, that sort of thing. Um, you're trying to, there's these little spaces on the board that you move them through. Um, most of the time, unless you're in a big city, there can only be one slave per space. So you have to be wary about how many people you're moving out and where they're going. But the other thing you have to watch out for are slave catchers that are on the board. And every time that a slave ends their turn on a space, that a slave catcher that's on a track that goes across that space will move closer to them. And if they're captured by a slave tracker, then they go to the slave market and at the end of every round, the slave market comes in and repopulates the plantations, which is kind of which is furthering the the loss condition basically in the game. Um like I said, you keep going until either you lose or you win, and then that's it. Um so obviously every time I've heard this game talked about, the first thing it's talked about is the theme. Because again, this is about slavery in the US. Um I appreciate the fact that they did not try to dress up the theme, but at the same time, they abstracted what needed to be abstracted, if that makes sense. Yes, but still, like, this is the first time that I played a game and was so emotional mm-hmm. whilst playing the game. Well, and, and the one moment that you, that that I remember... Pausing on is that there was a point where we were going to move a slave to a space with the express purpose of that slave getting captured, and and I was trying everything in my power to figure out a way to not get them captured. Yeah, but by doing that, we were able to open up a route for multiple slaves to go right, through, and we end up getting like two or three out mm-hmm. that way. But still, it's like, and, and like you said, we had this discussion like in a battle lore or something like that. Mm-hmm. You think nothing of putting these guys out there. Oh, they're cannon fodder. You know what? They're going to further my my agenda here. But remove that and put this theme on it, mm-hmm. and then it just, I mean, 
I, seriously, I was sitting there. I, I was almost in tears trying to figure out what can I do so he doesn't get caught. Well, you know and, and, I mean? and I'm I, and to that end, like I don't recall a game whose theme ever made me question like an action that I was going to do in the game. And we've played tons of games. Like we've played lots of war games. You know, we've played games where you know, ba- like Twilight Struggle. You're basically causing military conflicts to pop out in certain areas of the world and stuff like that. But and, and like I said, even with the the pieces abstracted, like I said, the slaves are represented as tan cubes, and the slave catchers are just colored shapes, like like one's a tri- an orange triangle, and there's like a red circle. They're not even represented as people. But even still, just like the thought of that is, and, and the thing. Well, that struck, and knowing that this happened, right? This actually saying, happened. You know what I mean? It's. I mean, it's. It just it gives me all the feels. Mm. You know, well, and and like I said, I I applaud Academy Games, and Academy Games is a company that does a lot of historically based work, and they try to remain rooted in that history. Seventeen seventy six is probably the most famous one I think of theirs that they put out. So I do appreciate the fact that they did not try to shy away from it, um, because I think to do that to shy away from it would have been uh, doing it a disservice, basically doing doing the the, the struggles that the people went through it as a disservice. Um, as evaluating the game as a game itself, um, it doesn't do a ton of new stuff. Like I said, I compare it quite a bit to Pandemic, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, you're but you're trying to move people up a map instead of trying to like keep locations locked down. Essentially, the the addition of the slave catchers having those these like roving tokens that move across the board is the thing that makes this game very tough because mm-hmm. you always have to. Pay attention to what's going on there, and you. And plus, the other thing that might get you is at the beginning of each round, one of the slave catchers may randomly move a un, you know undetermined amount of spaces that you can't predict. Basically, so as little variability. Um, so the game itself is fine. Um, it's something we're going to keep around in our collection for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's not. It wouldn't be my first choice. I don't think for. For a cooperative game, no, but it's nice. I definitely, since we lost so terribly, mm-hmm. I definitely want to give it another shot. See if we can come up with a better strategy. You know yeah. what I mean? What do you think about? Do you think the game would have been better, or worse with more people? Because we did, like, so we were just playing with two players. Now, keep in mind that with now, more players, there's more of the like abolitionist tokens, and you have to rescue more slaves, and you have a greater allowance. Of well, captures. I don't know that necessarily more people would help or hinder. I think it would hinder that. I, I don't know if it hindered. I think it would make the game more difficult, personally. Probably. So I think I think we're good with a number. It's just we have to find a better strategy. Yeah. So, but I mean, it was our first run through, and as most times, I mean, you're not you don't always win. But mm-hmm. like I said, we did our best. But now that we understand how it works, we can kind of better prepare next time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So like I said, Freedom of the Underground Railroad is 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 a good game. Um, also would recommend it as like a classroom thing. Like you could usually a teacher could have this game and use it to kind of teach their students about that period in Absolutely. American history, um, about the Underground Railroad. So like I said, a good game um, doesn't revolutionize the co-op genre in any way, but it's it's a solid cooperative game. Um, I would certainly it prefer it to, like... on the shelf. Yeah, I mean, and, and for me personally, like, I would certainly prefer it to, like, Vanilla Pandemic, for sure. <laughs> vanilla Pandemic. Well, no, I mean, it's uh, the regular Pandemic, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not not including legacy. So that is Freedom of the Underground Railroad from Academy Games. Uh, next on the list is Apotheca. I remember this was one that when we it was on Kickstarter, right? It was on Kickstarter, and when we, we looked we, at cons- it, we considered it. 
and I really liked it and wanted to try it and everything, but we just never pulled the trigger. It turned out to be a good idea. Yeah, we uh, we found <laughs> out why. Well, honey, this... honey surprised me and got it on a clearance sale. I did. Good thing we got it on clearance. I did. Um, <laughs> so Apotheca is it's it's a Apotheca is tic tac toe with colored potion bottles, sort of. So. <laughs> Game, the game takes place on a four by four grid, and there's three different. There's red, blue, and yellow, yellow potions, and you're trying to make a line of three or four potions in this grid of of the light colors, and doing so find the love child of tic tac toe and connect four, yeah. and doing so helps you like gain like tribute for these spirits that you get during the game, I think it is, or, or sorry, apothecaries that you get during the game, and you win the game if you're the first person to capture three of these lines. Um, the, the spirits also help you, or the apothecaries rather, also help you because they give you unique movements that you can do, but normally what you're doing on your turn is you are drawing a number of face-down potions and putting them on this board. Now, if you put a face-down potion on the board, you are allowed to look at it, but obviously your opponents will have put potions on the board face-down and you don't know what's you there. don't know necessarily know what's there, or you could move potions around like one space at a time, basically. Right. I think where we aired with this one is I don't think we did enough to mess with each other as much as we were trying to just complete our sets, basically. Right. But also, I mean, how much messing can you do in this game? Well, I mean, if so, if you can see that your opponent is setting up for like, if you, like I, I think the point of the game because I, I was messing with you. Well, I think somewhat. I think what they were I think what they were going for is to use the face down potion aspect to bluff your opponent or to kind of read what they're doing. Like, oh, I see two reds and they're trying to maneuver this face down one over there. That's probably a red too, so I better you know mess with it or that you know this that or the other. So I think that's what they were going for. But it doesn't necessarily present itself to you in the game no. at that in that way, at least until you you know played it for a couple times. Because we played the first game of this, I think in like fifteen minutes, and it was over in a flash. And I felt very unfulfilled. Yeah, and and like I said, the the production of the game is great. Like I said, it's it's actually probably better than it needs to be, quite honestly, for what the game is. Um, and I think the other point is too is that it's you you want that hard decision. So it's like what's what other game do we have where you get like a special ability? Oh, it's like Abyss. So so like in Abyss, you get the Lords right, and the Lords give you a special ability until you use them to capture the locations, and then you can't use their ability anymore. Right. So it has that kind of thing with the different apothecaries that when you get them, they give you like the special ability that you can do, and then once you give them tribute. Then you can't use them. So it's got it, it. I think it also wanted to leverage that mechanic. Is oh, you got to make sure that you want to, you know, that you lock this one down after you've used it. But again, that didn't really matter that much because all of the apothecaries are pretty good. You know what I mean? Like there's right. not a bad one that's like, you know, oh, you, you know, that's this is terrible, and I'm just kind of suffering until I don't, you know, until I can lock this one out. <laughs> like they all, like they all lend themselves to a viable strategy. So I, I really didn't get the. The push and pull of that aspect as well. I mean, it's again, Pothic is not a bad game. It just, it just kind of was a dud for us. It didn't really, didn't really do anything. Yeah. So not, a, not a fan of this one then. No. Okay. I was very excited, and then now I know why we didn't pull the trigger. Well, I mean, we didn't know it was going to be a dud when we pulled the trigger on Kickstarter. But like I said, I, I like you, like you said, I'm glad we got it on, on half price clearance. So yeah, for sure. So last up, um, this is actually an expansion um, that we 
finally got to play. We've had this for months, but we finally got to play it. This is the Aztec expansion for Imperial Settlers. And by far, so of the six factions that are in the game right now, this is the craziest that I can recall. Yes. So by the, and large, this is the craziest. So the mechanic that the game adds in in the Aztec expansion is blessings. Um, blessings are tokens that any player can get, and then they correspond to new cards in the deck that have this prey mechanic. And when you prey, typically it's you're drawing a number of cards, and then based on the cards you draw. It gives you a special ability of some kind, either based you, on the color of the cards, right, or right. Either you get so, to keep so them, so or you get resources based on what color they are. And then these blessing tokens can represent either additional colors of something that you already drew, if you have a corresponding color, or in, in lieu of drawing, you can say, "I'll use my blessing token as a guaranteed one of a particular color to ensure right. that I succeed in this." Um, but my goodness, so we so we were playing this four player. And the person playing it um, was our was our good friend Corey, and she had more faction buildings built in this game than I've seen ever, ever seen. It was ridiculous. Not to mention, like every time she got one of those, uh, when she got to use the ability, I mean, she was getting resources out the wazoo. Mm-hmm. I, well, it was crazy. Well, and and seeing and and from watching her play. Definitely the Aztecs are a faction you really have to pay attention to what's going on. But also, wasn't it, um, don't you guys, like, when, what was it with her buildings? Or did she have a lot of open production buildings? Was that what it was? She's had a lot of open production okay. buildings. That, that was a different... like, she had, like, a person farm over there, because every well, time yeah. I looked, she was, like, sprouting people. I'm like, what the... I will, I, I will say, part, part of it was poor play on the part of the table, because her husband, Kevin was using her open production building. So she was getting like six free workers every round, essentially, for the first couple rounds until he realized, oh, man, I'm giving her I'm way giving too her much to do. I'm giving her all the stuff. And then I'm like, yeah, that's why she has so many buildings built. And like I said, I don't know if that was the reason why, but it, I mean, and I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, Aztecs are overpowered. That's insane. Like, obviously, like you have to learn them and, and learn to play with them and play around them. But I was just like, it, it's almost all the Aztec faction cards incorporate at least the action cards incorporate that prayer mechanic in some way shape or form it seems well, i like. had some of them in my faction because i was the japanese faction well all, all factions get them so like when they come out with a new expansion they they always have that i never mechanic. got any of the tokens though mine just had the prey okay. ability on the card right. i never got actually got any of the tokens yeah but the, the aztecs definitely leverage that that prey ability and get those blessings and they can use it to pretty efficient uh Pretty efficient. Like, like there's one production building that she had that every round she got a point for every, I think it was every color blessing that she had that matched a building in her tableau. Yeah. And so, it, and, and if you build a, a, you know, that's like six, seven points easy by the re, by the third round if you're, if but you're playing that's the thing. Well. All that that she was doing, and I was still keeping up with her. I was the only mm. one keeping up with her with my faction. Right. And again, like, like Imperial Sales games could swing from game to game and be very different from one game to the next, obviously. But I was... I was kind of just laughing at how insanely 
efficient that prey mechanic can be, especially oh, yeah. when you get those blessing tokens in there. So, um, Lisa, I wish we could have gotten our hands on that ourselves at some point, but you know, just I think getting to play that long game really kind of opened the eyes with the well, you know, and so. now we know what to do when we play if, if we get the Aztecs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Know how to play. So, an interesting expansion. Um, do you like the prey mechanic? I don't know if I actually liked the mechanic itself that much, personally. Uh, I mean, I benefited from it quite a bit with my personal faction. Well, the only that game. the only thing I don't like about it is that, again, since you're drawing cards from the common deck, like you're kind of just burning through the common deck, and it's harder to see some of the cards that you might be counting on seeing as you go through. If that makes sense. Yeah, but you can't count on that, dear. No, but like if like we literally went through the common deck, I think twice in that game, and and so like if, if you've played Imperial Sellers a lot, you know certain cards are in there, and you can use card draw to kind of dig for them a little bit, and it doesn't guarantee you'll get them, but the wildness of go, of just pounding through that deck and having so many cards get cycled out is might have like it might have had a little bit of an unpredictability factor. It might That's have taken a their bridge thing. too far. It depends. It depends. You know how much I hate luck. But that's what I'm saying. That like, takes it all out of it. No, it does. It adds. What are you talking about? It adds more luck. No. Yes, it does. If you if, if you're if you're increasing the amount of the amount of randomness in the game, that's you're you're inserting more luck into the equation. That's it, it adds. That's that's what I'm saying. That's why that's one of the only reasons I don't like it a little bit is because it does infuse a little too much. I don't know if I would ever use the Aztecs in a four player game though, too. Because it went on really long. It was a long game. Yeah, so uh, and especially because like I said once you because every time drawing the cards and I mean even though you only get what five rounds, mm-hmm. it still felt like it took forever because it's just like she would have these for like you said with <laughs> with Kevin feeding her people, <laughs> mm-hmm. like she would have forever long turns. Yeah, it was like the infinite turn. I'm, I'll be curious to see how they play with two players because yeah. I think with two players you can negotiate the the game flow a little bit more. Yeah. So we'll find out. We will find out. So this week's uh, main topic, we're going to go back to a game that we know pretty well. Um, we're going to give you a review of Suburbia. Uh, this is a game from Bezier Games, designed by Ted Alsbach. Um, it is a city-building, tile-laying game, um, but it's definitely a little unique, I think, from a lot of games. You know, of that I nature. love my tile-laying games. I know you do. Um, there's a lot of neat mechanics in Suburbia that I find fascinating, and that's one of the reasons why it's in our in our collection and gets played it's quite one of the frequently. reasons it's got to insert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the goal is you are all um, suburb planners around this big city, and you're planning your own suburb out, and your goal is to get the most population to your suburb that you can. And you do this um, by managing both the income of your suburb and the reputation of your suburb, and those two Things are going to be ebbing and flowing throughout the course of the game. Um, the way the game works in practice is that you have there's several hexagon shaped building tiles, and they go across five categories. There are 
Blue buildings, which are commercial buildings. There are green buildings, which are residential buildings. Yellow buildings are industrial buildings. And gray tiles are municipal buildings. And then you also have lakes, which are on the backside of every tile. And during the game, um, there's a market of tiles that is conveyor belt style, essentially. And you are going to purchase one of those tiles from the market. You're going to put it into your city. Um, you're going to get income based where your income level is. You're going to get points based on your reputation level. And then the market gets filled up, and that's literally the flow well, also, of the Also, the market, the first two spaces don't add any extra money on. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you tax on a couple extra bucks yeah. onto however much, plus what the tile costs. Yes. So each tile is individually priced, um, and each tile has a specific ability that goes along with it, in addition to possibly raising or lowering your town's income or reputation. Or giving you points. Or giving you points as well. So when you buy a tile, um, you're going to place it adjacent to at least one of the tiles. Well, you start off with three buildings. You do. You ever, everyone has a suburb or a residential area. Or it is a, a suburb. Uh, everyone has a suburb, a community park, and a factory yes. in their city. And when you get tiles, you're going to put them connected to one of the tiles that's already in your city. And then what happens, you have to kind of evaluate how that tile interacts with everything else. So some tiles just give you income or reputation or just make you lose income and reputation. That's fine. But then they'll give you, they also might give you like a bonus based on other factors in the game. And sometimes that bonus looks at tiles that it's adjacent to. Sometimes it looks at tiles that are in your city. Sometimes it looks at tiles that are in everyone's suburbs. So you have to really look to see how it's going to ebb and flow. And the thing I love about it is that the tiles tend to be very thematic around what they are. So green tiles, the residence tiles, generally give you population because obviously they're adding people to your city. Mm -hmm. Blue tiles, the commercial tiles, generally raise your city's income level, essentially, and might also help your reputation. Right. Um, Municipal buildings, like government buildings, usually increase the city's reputation but might lower your income because... You know, less efficient. And then factories and things and industrial complexes are a great way to make quick cash, but no one wants to live near them. So usually if you put them near the other buildings, then you start losing points that way as well. So I really like how the how the tiles kind of link together. Um, like and, and just to give you a for example of this, so there's a blue building that's a fancy restaurant. And when you first play the fancy restaurant, your income increases by three every round. Um, because it's this new hot restaurant in town. But every round after that, that one gets built, you lose a dollar, right? Well, any restaurant, yeah. Any Anytime any other restaurant gets built, your income tick starts ticking down. It doesn't matter who builds it either. It can be anybody. Because you got competition. Right. So it, it, so it ties in. Um, later in the game, schools will pop out, and schools will gain, get you victory points based on how many residential tiles you have like mm-hmm. in your area and stuff like that. So like I said, I love how everything you know just kind of links together. As you go along, um, like Em said, the, the you have to look at the tile market as well because you might not like the first two tiles, which are the one, the ones that have been out the longest, don't have any additional cost. But if you want to buy further up the market, you have to kick out extra as well, and it gets steep real quick. It can, but it might also be worth it if you, there's a tile that you know that your opponent's going to be gunning for. Can I say this last game that we played? Mm-hmm. That was the poorest I've ever been playing suburbia. Because usually you know I'm rolling in the cash. Well, it's funny you mention that because that's the other the, one of the other things about Spurb is you really have to manage your money well because money can be very tight in this game, especially mm-hmm. 
early on as you go. Um, and then to that point, if you can't afford a tile, like if you can't afford to purchase a tile or you just don't want to, you can take any tile and flip it over and, and make, make it, it a lake. lake. And lakes give you basically instant cash in your pocket, but they don't do much else beyond that. So there, you don't want to do it too often, but if you need money in a pinch... Yeah, but if you get that waterfront property tile, man. Well, and again, there's tiles that help <laughs> link off the lakes as well. Um, and then that's that's kind of the game in a nutshell. It takes place over three different phases. Um, there's different tiles that pop out in each phase. But the other thing the game does that is super clever, and it's a fantastic mechanic that I don't see copied a ton. As you advance up the scoreboard and score and your population increases, there's going to be these red lines that you cross over. And red lines kind of stimulate managing the overgrowth of your city because every time you cross a red line, your income level and your reputation level, which is what turns out victory Go points every round, move back and move down one step. And the further you get up the scoreboard, the, the more closer, frequent it happens. Right, the closer these red lines are together. So you really it's one of the it's a game where you're like, oh, I just just get victory points. No, no, you can't do that because you have to manage not only you have to manage the flow of those victory points. You can't just go balls to the wall and try to collect as many points as you can because if you do that, then you're going to be hurting for money mm-hmm. and probably losing victory points at some point every round as well. Um, the other cool thing that happens in this game is that at the beginning of the game, certain goals are distributed as well. And each player has a private goal that they keep secret. And there's a number of public goals that are available as well, depending on player count. There's usually one for each player in the game essentially at the end of the game if you are the person to fulfill these goals which usually is either having the most of something or the least of something um, as far as like a tile color or money or reputation income whatever then you'll get bonus victory points when the game ends Um, game ends when you there's a one round left tile that gets shuffled into the last stack randomly Um, once you draw that tile you finish the current round of play, everyone gets one more turn, and then you can you know score your end game bonus points, and whoever has the most population wins the game at the end. Mm-hmm. So fantastic tile lane game. Like I said, the the stuff I talked about in the review, there are just certain small mechanics, and again, I'm sure they're not unique to Suburbia, but I don't see them a lot in other games. Like I said, the the redlining of the scoreboard, very cool. Like I said, I love how the different tiles link together. That's neat. Oh, I also forgot to mention there are three investment markers that each player starts the game with. And instead of buying a tile from the market, you can reinvest in something. You can reinvest in a tile that you already own, which essentially doubles its effects. So you can use those strategically as well. Um, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about two player differences first. Not much changes with two players in this game. Um, the only thing that changes is the number of tiles in the stack. And the number of gold tiles that are available. And it's kind of cool that that's the way it is. Because really in a two-player game, you still get the same number of turns as you do in a four-player game. Mm -hmm. Which for a game like this is kind of important, I think. Yes. Um, So rules overhead versus complexity. This is a game that I've always found difficult to teach at the beginning. But after two rounds, everyone gets it. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, it, like like I said, it's it's, it's a lot well, of information taken. Well, it's a lot to take in. take in at first, but then once you kind of see how it works and you take a couple turns, you say, okay, here we go. All right, this goes with this tile, and this will boost this and this, 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 and yeah. Well, the, the trickiest part that I've always found is there's literally a seven-point checklist that comes with the game on the player aid 
that has you, here's how you have to evaluate each tile as you place it in your area. So it's like step one, see if the tile adjusts your reputation. Step two, see if it, see what, you know, based on its ability, does it trigger anything by itself? Step three, check tiles, like, like you have, tech, right. you know, and, and so it, that's a lot to go in. But once you've played the game really once, like that stuff actually becomes second nature and you don't really need to reference the, the player anymore. It still can be tricky keeping, like, especially if you have a lot of tiles that are impacted by everyone's stuff, you mm-hmm. kind of have to be well, paying attention to the right. game as you go because, like, if, if you like, there's a homeowners association tile, for example, that anytime anyone plays a green tile, you get $2. So you need to pay attention and make sure that when someone plays a green tile, that you take that money mm-hmm. from the bank as well. So, because it's very easy to miss that stuff yep. if you're not keeping your I do eyes it open. all the time. <laughs> yeah. And and usually I'm the one that I'm usually playing like goalie for that kind of stuff. Basically, like I'm always watching, be like, hey, make sure you get the money here, and make sure right, you get the money right, there. Right. And I think it's important to have someone at the well, table. Well, and doing didn't that. you say when you went to the board game cafe in Vegas? Is mm-hmm. this one of the ones you played? It is, yeah. And and like so, we had no problems picking up. But but I but still with me playing that kind of goalie role. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like with those guys, because I mean, with the exception of maybe one or two, I think most of them were relatively new to this kind of board game. Mm-hmm. I mean, how hard was that to get them to understand? Oh, they picked it up pretty. It, it, everyone picked it up pretty quick. Like I said, it's yeah. one of those games that you played a couple rounds. It's it's very easy to figure out what's going on. Now I know long. I mean, we've we've had this game for four years now. I think. Uh-huh. Um, do you remember how tricky it was to learn? Because that's that was a long time ago. A lot I of mean, games in suburbia ago. So <laughs> right. No, I mean. I remember just it was a lot to take in at first, mm. and I had my little player aid, and I was reading through it, and I'm like, Jesus, oh, my God, what am I getting myself into? But like you said, after, I think, after, like, my third or fourth round, I kind it kind of clicked, and I got it, and I was like, all right, this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked a little bit through the review about stuff that we like. What's What are some other things that you really enjoy about Suburbia? Oh, Suburbia. Um. Well, we didn't talk about, well, I know there's two expansions. There are two. We'll save those till the end of that. We'll just talk about the base game. But um, the hilarity that ensues from them always makes me, (laughs) (laughs) always makes for a good game. Well, just in general, the hilarity, because there's some some kind of out there tiles with the game. So, like, I I remember the one. The 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 best one was yours. Mm -hmm. He has a line of schools, but he needs cash. There is a border tile that is a toxic waste dump. Mm-hmm. And if he puts it next to it, he will get like 30 bucks or something ridiculous. But you're putting it next to schools. Yeah. And we had to take a picture. We we I think we posted that one because it was quite hilarious. Yeah, like I said, I, yeah, I, I do enjoy the hilarious <laughs> situations that can uh, that can arise oh my. from this. Um, I also like in this one because everyone has that hidden goal. It's this is one of the games where it's really enjoyable to try and suss out what the other players have because you can usually tell, especially once you get later in the game. Right, once you get about three quarters <laughs> of the way through, you're like, I there, know what he's doing. Because you'll sit there and you'll be like, Why the hell is he building like four like gray tiles right here, right next to each other? Like this seems really inefficient. You're like, Oh, he probably has the gold tile that. Needs. Also said that's yeah. it. this one last time. I think that's what I had uh, most contiguous gray tiles, mm-hmm. and uh, he's like, Why would you put it there? And I'm like, Shush. And you're like, oh, never mind. I know why. <laughs> um, oh my god. What else? What else is on your uh, your thumbs up list? 
Um, for for me, I I like the sheer. So so this will be a plus and a minus, and I'll talk about the minus end of it. I like the sheer variety of tiles that are in the game because there's way more tiles than you'll use in a given round, especially once you add one of the expansions in the mix, then that really kind of varies things up a little bit. So I like the fact that you'll never see the same stuff twice, but there's a flip side to that that we could talk about in a second. That sometimes you don't get to see the stuff that you want? Well, like I said, I'll mention it when we get to I mean, do you want to get into negative stuff, or do you have more positive things? No, I mean, I just, I love this game. Like I said, I love the whole concept you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and I love the fact that even building in my city, I can screw with you. Yeah, I like the fact that, um, like, if I really don't have anything I want to do that turn, and I know you're gunning for a certain tile, I will gladly, even if it's on like the pay scale, I will gladly pay a couple bucks to oh, get rid of that that's, tile that's, for that's, you. That's the best part too. Is like, <laughs> so, so like when you have to take a lake. This this is like this is one of those games where like when I'm gonna take a tile like I don't need to build this tile but what tile can I pick that's going right. to most screw <laughs> the next person because I'm not letting them have this thing that they that they absolutely yeah. want to have so I, I do I really enjoy that that's you know because you know we like to be a little yeah. you know mean well it definitely it definitely does lend itself to that sort of thing so getting back to the um, the assortment of tiles thing. The only drawback to the sheer number of tiles and having such a small number of them appear in the game is that it does make these chain combos that can arise in the game through good planning not appear ever because you might never get the tiles to um, you know, finish the, the combo. Or on the flip side, it might make some tiles more powerful than... They might then they might be around the game. So, like I said, the fancy restaurant's a great example, where it's a really good tile if you never see another restaurant during the game because it gets you three income boosted early in the game for relatively cheap price. Because I think the tile's only like nine dollars or eleven dollars, mm-hmm. which is not a ton of money in suburbia. No. But it's it's a crapshoot whether or not that tile is going to be a great tile or something that is going to cost you badly later in the game. And I guess that's part of it is is that that luck you know never never truly knowing. What's going to happen? But like late in the game, there's this car dealership tiles, and they give you like a ton of income. And there's a good chance you you're not going to see another car dealership as you go throughout the game. So there's or the really, casinos. Well, the casinos are a little bit different, just because they they deal with the red line. Right. Part they of boost your money instead of taking it away when you cross a red line. Right. But there's no drawback to those. Like 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 the. But the, they cost a crap ton of money. They they do. But like the reason the car dealership works as a tile is because of the drawback aspect where you can lose money if other car dealerships pop out. But again, in with especially with like a lower player count, it's not likely to happen. So it makes those tiles very. Very desirable, and they sometimes they can swing the game. If well, you're not and careful. like so, I think the last game we played, one was one of the public goals was the one with the most um, business tiles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I remember seeing maybe two or three business tiles pop out the entire game. Right, and that's another. And that's what I said, yeah. and, and that's like that's one of the things like those particular tiles, like the tiles that actually have like the little symbols on the side. I don't, I mean, they're not necessarily helpful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, you might be able to get that, but like you said, if the tiles don't pop out, I, you're kind of screwed. Oh, I also, one thing that I like, I forgot to mention, I really dig the um, the graphic design in the game because all the tiles, instead of being like a picture of the building, um, are more, look more like 
Google you might Maps. see them on like a, like yeah, like Google Maps, like a city planner might see it. I like that aesthetic because um, I like the fact that it doesn't distract from the information on the tile, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But some people might not like that because it kind of diminishes the theme, I guess, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, the other thing that I'm not a huge fan of is this game is a pain in the butt to set up and tear down. Um, to the point where we jumped at the chance to buy an organizer for it because of how often we play it. And I felt like we needed to. And and having that organizer has helped with the setup and teardown time immensely. Because otherwise, it's just tons of tiles and bags. And you have to, like, dump them all out and mix them all up. And it's 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 just a beast, to, especially to set up. Takedown's not as bad. Setup takes a really long time with this game. If you really like it, it's worth, you know, shelling out 20 bucks to get an organizer for it. But it stinks that people kind of have to do that to to have a decent organization method for yeah. this one, I think. Um, what would you compare this game to from like a comparability standpoint? Even though I was just really redundant when I just said, <laughs> I just said that just now. It's okay, hun. We've had a we've had a long day. Yeah. <laughs> Our son was not the nicest today. Um, hmm. what would I compare it to? I mean, to me, it's sort of like seven wonders ish in some ways like it's like it's a it's a step above like a seven well because i i'm using seven wonders as an example because that is a game where it's kind of similar where you're getting the cards and you're laying them out in your civilization and what other people do is also impactful to you because of the trading aspect and stuff like that so i think that if you have if you're familiar with seven wonders and you want something that just has maybe just that little bit extra then suburbia would be a good place to go to yeah can you think of any other, especially like city builders, stuff like that? I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of all the ones that we played. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, since it's howling, like you're tempted to say Carcassonne. It's got, yeah, way, well, it's no, got way more see, going on than But Carcassonne. see, I thought about that, but then that's super duper duper simple. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, there's not all the little, I mean, unless you put in the million bajillion I'm, expansions. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a game. And and our listeners might be able to help us out with this. I'm trying to think of a game that has as much like where your stuff is impacted by your opponents to the degree that it can be in suburbia. I'm, I'm and, and escaping me at the moment. I mean, I'm, another one to mention would be like Among the Stars. It's kind of in that same yeah, wheelhouse. but not as much. Actually, I think in, in some respects, even even more so because Among the Stars also adds the the monetary aspect as well as having to manage money. As a resource too, so that's kind of where I see where I see that one coming into play. Maybe, but that's that's cool what it kind of reminds me of. Just it's just without the drafting, like it's in, you know instead of yeah. it just got got no drafting and then suburbia does. Um, what do you mean among the stars and have drafting? No, I'm saying suburbia doesn't have doesn't have drafting. Oh, I'm like, what are you yeah. talking? Um, so two players, I think we we can pretty safely recommend this for Absolutely. two for sure like i said the game the game doesn't fundamentally change the only thing that's going to be slightly different with two is that um obviously some of those tiles that affect the table universally might not be as good because if your opponent's not building that color then you're not going to you're not going to care all that much well, I said my only my only thing with it is like the the last round token mm-hmm. i know we've had it Happen very late in the stack, and we've had it happen very early in the stack. It's never opportune because I'm just like, man, well, that's I just kind need, of the that's I'm kind like, of the point, yeah. though. That's it's kind of the it's point. just frustrating. I li- see, but I like games that have those unpredictable ends. Now, I do, I do appreciate 
with the expansion that they have like the little gold tiles on top of the stack when we get to the next stack as well. Well, see now you're now you're cutting into the next part. So we'll, let's let's <laughs> let's talk about well we're going to talk about one of the expansions because actually we don't own Suburbia Five Star, which is the most recent expansion. I looked into that one. It didn't seem like the stuff that it added was anything that I felt needed to be added to Suburbia because I think we like it the way we have it with Suburbia. But Suburbia Inc. is an excellent expansion. So Suburbia Inc. adds several new gold tiles. And borders. It adds, well, it adds borders. It adds several new regular tiles as well. But the borders are obviously the biggest aspect of the game. So borders are long, like long tiles that can go into your city that can slot in next to four adjacent hexagons. And borders are just a big tile that does the same kind of stuff the regular tiles do. They're just harder to fit into your to your city, basically. You can also turn them into lakes as well. Well, wouldn't those be coastlines, I guess? Well, <laughs> in that, in I that mean, case. I don't know what they're calling them, but yes, yeah, so essentially yeah. it would be a coastline. So it's an ocean. Borders, borders no are lakes, on, it's an ocean. There you go. Borders are one of those things. Well, it could be a golf. Borders are one of those things where... Uh, don't get technical on me, fan, but it's it's a nice addition. Um, you might not use it in the game, uh, like in every game you play, and in most games, if you do buy any borders, you might only buy one, maybe two, if if your city shakes out. Because the problem with those is they're so difficult to to slide in. You really do have to plan. Well, yeah, because I think like the last time I cut in on my city, and then I had to build it like awkwardly out to the right hand side. Mm-hmm. For for me. For me, ink is worth getting specifically for the extra tiles that it provides to the main game. Mm-hmm. The borders are fine and they're a nice addition, but I think the the real feature is getting all those extra those extra regular building tiles to add more variety into the mix as you go along. So obviously, we're we're huge fans of Suburbia. Um, this is one that if you are looking for a really replayable, really fun, um, like medium weight game and this sounds appealing to you like the whole city building aspect and combos and stuff like that it's hard combos. to go wrong. you know what you yeah. said when, what i thought of when you said combos because we're talking about tiles what's that <sighs> puzzle strike weird <laughs> but, but i guess that kind of makes sense not at all the same type of game no, That's no, no. Is. but you can definitely buy tiles to screw with each other but this this is one like so we've had this for a solid four years now and it's not going anywhere it gets pretty regular play this play. was this was one of the first ones when we really started yeah this was among the first probably twenty games that we bought. It was, and like I said, for and and it speaks highly when when we make it a point to bust this one out every every couple of months because mm-hmm. we do really like it that much. Um, it's just a great game. Like I said, it's got a lot, it's it's got lots of variety. No no two games will ever be close to the same. Well, like I said, usually in this game, by about halfway through, I'm swimming in the dough. Mm-hmm. And this last game, I mean. Whew, I was hurting for money. Well, and, and again, I, lo- I love a game that forces you into different strategies. Like there is, I, at least that I can see, and someone I'm sure will tell me I'm wrong, there is no dominant strategy in Suburbia. You just kind of have mm-hmm. to go ebb and flow. I mean, money's I mean, important early in the game. Like that's probably the one thing I'll say. I mean, how many times have we played this? And I, I mean, I don't have the same strategy every time. I just kind of see where the tiles take me. Mm-hmm. And, and there are certain tiles that I do like to get 
every game when they pop up. Like, especially Emily, like she mentioned, the waterfront realty. Oh, my God. You can get the waterfront realty. You are golden. Yeah, almost a must grab uh, when you see it. But it's like I said, I just like how. If you see it. How I'm forced to kind of usually when I get halfway through the second stack, I'm like, all right, this is the direction that I need to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. concentrating heavily on. And I like a game that's over before. I, I do like games that are that have that sudden ending that catch you off guard because it kind of teaches you upon repeat plays to get your stuff done and not to not to build up and wait. No, Emin, don't Emin dilly domain, dally. Right, Eminent Domain does this too. We're like, all right, all right, time to pull off the super cool. Oh, the game's ending. Like, like you know, like you get ready and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, it's the it's I have two turns left and I need to I need no, to scramble you mean for like as many today points. With Great as I Western can. Trail, right? It's kind of like, sort of. You're like, oh no, I'm done, and you have one more turn. I'm like. <sighs> <laughs> I need about three more turns, thanks. Cool. So, like I said, let us know uh, if you also enjoy Suburbia, and if you've not played it, I would hardly recommend checking it out, because like I said, terrific, uh, terrific game uh, from Ted Osbach and, and Bezia Games, and one that uh, is definitely near and dear to us. Absolutely. So, uh, that is the show uh, this episode. Thank you guys very much once again for listening and and putting up with our erratic uh erratic scheduling. I'm not going to promise regular scheduling cuz you know, Lauren only knows at this point. We're going to do our best to get that every like two weeks. Like I said, weeks. we try to do every two weeks, but you know what? You guys understand, life gets in the way sometimes. It does. So, but uh but yeah, that's it. Like I said, again, if you have any two player topics you'd like us to see, cuz honestly, that's the thing that we struggle on the most. Now that we're 50 however many episodes in, sometimes coming up with new original topics can be tough. So, if there's anything that you guys want us to talk about from a two player aspect, again, feel free to drop us the line. We'll be happy to entertain it. Um, but again, yeah, until uh, until next time we get to talk to you. Thanks a lot and see you later. Bye.